If we don't do the hard work to figure out how to be inclusive without being permissive, then we're going to miss out on the opportunity to share the gospel as broadly as God wants. We must do that hard work because it's at the heart of the character and purposes and plans of our Creator. He has thrown open wide the door to salvation through faith in Jesus, and all types of people are invited. In this week's sermon, Kelly preached on Luke 14, 15 to 24, the parable of the great banquet. Today, we'll discuss these verses and specifically how to approach sharing the gospel as broadly as God desires. Stay tuned from Glen Ellen Bible Church. I'm Matt Marone. I'm John Vanderveld. I'm Beth Moss. And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is episode number 187 of The Next Level. We're getting closer to that 200 mark. Yeah. Remember, I wanted to meet it by Christmas, but. <laughs> we would have had to come a in every day. Today. we got to start coming up with some good day. 200 episode giveaways. Theme. I don't know. Something we need some, a sponsor. Some pizzazz. We need a sponsor. <laughs> we'll have Anyone t-shirts. Out there? Something t-shirts. Bingo. Remember there was podcast, yeah, podcast bingo we bingo? talked about. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How about coffee cups? Could we get someone to Next design? level podcast. Coffee cups. Coffee cups. You know, we could we could Facebook live it or something and do do podcast bingo and have all of our favorite phrases on there and hand them uh-huh. out the week prior. That'd be fun. And yeah. all seven people would show up. <laughs> <laughs> right, totally. Hey, my mom We're would be all yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> what what would be like the you know, the most frequent like things said? Like what what comes up every week? Kelly singing and some <laughs> Big word that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Beth wins. What are we to make would be would be one. What, what? are we to make what of? What are we to make of? What are we to make? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that would be one. Hasn't come up l- a lot lately, but usually makes an appearance in um gardening, right? Gardening. Gardening. It's just Lawns. not it's not seasonal. Yeah. Right now. Shoveling. That's seasonal. All right. So speaking of shoveling, yeah. Hey, we thought you know Mon- Sunday Monday last week was a big deal. Yeah. How about yeah. over the weekend? We had to cancel church, sort of. We kind rescheduled. Of. <laughs> we canceled three services and then created another one. Somebody asked me today, "Gosh, was it really that bad? Did you have to cancel?" And I said, "I don't know. I just do what John tells me to do." <laughs> I will Smart say, man. you had the idea. Of what? To, church? To, no, <laughs> to go to one the one service. Mm-hmm. It was that bad, right? I mean, we can't run kids ministry without volunteers, and people were. I mean, and it, understandably, people were nervous about getting out. It was bad for where we live. Yeah, yeah. You're so tough. I mean, me, I, to me be and fair, a <laughs> fellow Michigander were <laughs> were laughing. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I had two people on my worship team yeah. text. Before any of us yeah. talked and said, hey, dude, like, what are we thinking? Well, you, you know? guys have to be here at like 630 Seven. in the yeah. morning uh-huh. or whatever to get. Right. So that would have been difficult, clearly. I said to Kelly that morning, we were texting back and forth, and uh, it, it would have been difficult to, to Pull have 9 o'clock. I mean, mm-hmm. the streets yeah. in, in Glen Ellen, like around the church, weren't even plowed yet. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it would have been tricky. We would have had tricky. three... Uh, Poorly attended services. <laughs> right. Instead yeah. of one pretty good attendance. It was service. actually, it was, I felt like it was a, like normally attended, yeah, you know, like it was good. fully attended. Yeah. 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 It, was, it was a good good plan, good move. So mm-hmm. we bring this up. We want to say thanks to everybody that last minute pivoted. We appreciate um, both the volunteers that and the attendees. I mean, a lot of people had to go back on and re-register and appreciate that. And yeah, it was good. Shout out to all, all our kids ministry volunteers for their hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of questions. We got some work to do, guys. Yep. Do we have lots? Well, it's not a well, lot, but they're pretty intense. They're bulky questions. Well, right? yeah. one question has Six five questions. questions in it. Yeah. <laughs> inside of it. Yeah, right, right. Which is awesome. All right. All right. Well, let's get into that first question. Uh, here we go. In a time. In a time. You, know, <laughs> you far, gotta figure out how to, pr- how to pronounce half these words. <laughs> when many pulpits are promulgating Christian nationalism. One man. No. Okay, here we go. In a time when many pulpits are promulgating Christian nationalism and political conspiracy theories, I am grateful that GEBC consistently and boldly stands for biblical truth. At the same time, in a day when the white evangelical church seems well beyond the point of a clanging gong, why qualify the call to inclusion by expressing a concern about permissivism? 
permissiveness. Doesn't expressing a concern for permissiveness feed into the pharisaicalism of the evangelical church? Why even put that in the conversation? Are there examples of Christians' permissiveness creating a moral hazard? When is it not better to err in the direction of love? Kelly, you often give weight to a topic based on its prevalence in Scripture. For example, money as an idol. Why wouldn't the prevalence of commandments to love not lead you to call us to love and include others without any qualification? Really thoughtful. Yeah, it's a great, great question. All right. So I'll do my best here. The simplest answer is that love sets limits. Uh, as you know, let's give an example from everyday life. We all know that parents love their kids, but they also set limits on their kids. For example, they don't let them play in the street where it's dangerous. The same is true in adult relationships. When we love someone, we don't green light all their behaviors. We set limits on what we communicate as good for them. We, we don't just give them carte blanche to do ever. When we, when we love adult to adult, when we care for other people, we set limits. Another way to say it is that we're, we're not permissive. So that's what I was getting at. The trick is, the really, really difficult task is being truly inclusive, caring for and welcoming all types of people without being permissive. It's learning how, the trick is learning how to express love without alienating folks when we speak our mind on a matter, when we don't want to green light someone's behavior. So Jesus was able to include people in his life without green lighting their immoral behavior. Jesus was not permissive. And we've got to learn how to do that. For example, he ate with Pharisees. So that's one category of people, a hyper-religious people that was, um, we'll just leave it at that, hyper-religious. But he also ate with tax collectors and sinners And we are to actively create space in our lives for those who have power, like the Pharisees did. I think of Nicodemus, who came to Jesus under the cover of darkness in John chapter 3, and Jesus received him. He was a person of power and influence. And I believe Nicodemus, although he, he went away from Christ befuddled at that point, I think he came to faith later in life uh, and, and can, can support that biblically. So Jesus, he had people like uh, Nicodemus in his life. But he also had people that society had rejected, like Matthew, the tax collector. And he also had people in his life whose lifestyles were contrary to how he lived as a godly, well, as God. Um, The woman at the well being the example. So Jesus included all types of people in his life, but he wasn't permissive towards the Pharisees. He didn't give them carte blanche to continue acting in self-interest out of their power. He didn't do that with Matthew either. In fact, Zacchaeus famously repented as a tax collector. And, and he did that after he met Christ. And then a woman at the well as well. He regularly met immoral people and told them, go and sin no more. So the question asker rightly notes that the weight of scriptural testimony should serve as an interpretive framework. It should. We should take the whole counsel of scripture. And the weight of scripture is really clear that God loves us and that he doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin. The listener also asks, are there examples of Christians' permissiveness creating a moral hazard? Yeah, there, mm. there are. They're historic examples, yeah. uh, and they're biblically historic answers. So, for example, the church in Corinth, so let's take a, a biblical example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, the church in Corinth were so inclusive, so grace-based, so, quote-unquote, loving, that they weren't doing anything about someone living in sin. And it wasn't just your average sin. Paul said that the type of sin you guys are putting up with isn't even reported among pagans. Pagans don't even do this. And I'll leave it to you guys to go read 1 Corinthians 5. So there are churches right now all over the western suburbs who are currently greenlighting behaviors that are explicitly condemned in scriptures in the name of God's grace and love. They're They're turning a blind eye because they want to be all-inclusive. Now, I want to turn a corner here. The historic temptation of Bible churches, 
So I'm going to talk about our tribe, and it's a very narrow tribe I'm defining. It's, the, it's a tribe of historically fundamentalist believers, uh, very conservative in their doctrine and very conservative in their politics. So conservative folks, our tribe historically is not tempted with younger brother sin. Our tribe is, is historically, and I believe today, tempted with older brother sin. If you know the parable of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, then you know these two brothers. They, they're kind of a, a dichotomy, as it were, between the older brother, who appears to do everything right on the outside, but has a pharisaicalism, a, a self-righteousness, and a condemnation and judgmentalism towards his younger brother. And then there's the younger brother at the opposite end of the pole who lives like hell, does whatever he pleases. And so our historic temptation at Glenelg Bible Church is an older brother temptation. Is everybody at the church older brother? No. But but what I was speaking to Sunday is what I believe where many in our congregation, not all, but many in our congregation struggle with not simply exclusive truth claims, but exclusive lifestyles where we will not hang out and we're separatistic. I think that's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give a concrete example of the last thing you just said? Yeah, I mean, we exclude I mean, people whose lifestyle and behavior, it could be anything, you know, that it doesn't jive with what we think is morally okay. So it's like, hey, we don't, you know, remember, we don't go over to the Johnson's house or, you know, whatever it is, whatever. I mean, you can kind of hear that sort of throughout people's lives in the in the suburbs and people in our church we don't you know it's like oh they you know they struggle with that or that family does this or anything from divorce i mean you think of the isolation that so many single moms talk about they cannot be a part of things because they don't have the traditional suburban family uh in like they're they we have a really good friend she's a single mom and she's constantly has her her boys feel left out because they don't have those traditional and so people just it's, it's hard to include them yeah it's hard to include them and it's not necessarily because of a sin but it's sort of like no you're different you're you don't really jive with kind of how everybody else fits in it could be alcoholism it could be like i said a broken home it could be uh political affiliations it could be sexual identity where people yeah they're different than us so we don't include them in any any part of uh, of our lives, or the you know there's also the the project mentality where it's like, <laughs> right? It's not just a relationship that we have because we, we wear them we, we wear them as a badge. Yeah, we love yeah. and care for our neighbors, but it's like, well, you know, it's an outreach opportunity. Remember that. Right. So it's you know we, we kind of <laughs> we kind of you know make those exclusivistic claims. Right. Can we go back to some of the stuff that you were you're talking about, or did you exhaust the topic? Are no. We, are we done? <laughs> Kelly has never exhausted <laughs> a topic. Come on, John. I'm looking through the notes. There's like 19 pages of notes there to answer the questions. There are a lot of notes here. And Kelly just re read them all. Um, don't don't you think it's a little bit of like um, of um, what you uh, what you greet <laughs> what you welcome or greet somebody with in terms of saying something like we're loving and yet not permissive of your, like, it's not like right out on the forefront. Hopefully not. Of our relationships. It's, so it's, it's not our logo for the church. Like I, I want to say a little Inclusive, bit like. but not permissive. Yeah, the, <laughs> the devil's in the details. Because there yeah. are churches that are inclusive, and that is more, uh, they want to kind of tr trumpet the fact that they are inclusive. Mm -hmm. I'm talking very specifically about the LGBTQ issue. Yeah, they're issue. affirming. Yeah. So right. they, they say, I'm affirming. Means, there's yeah. churches, there's one not too far from here. Big banner, out sure. front, all people welcome. I ride my bike right by there all the time, and I think to myself, we could have that banner. Right. You yeah. are totally welcome here. Mm -hmm. But in our context, in our society, in our town, in our culture, that banner out front means... Permissive. Something Permissive. different yeah. than accepting. They're using language that is not true. They are inclusive, but they are also fully acceptive of what we would define as the biblical definition of, of 
struggling in a, in a sin. Yeah. Right. So we need to live and you know swim in the water that we're in. And so you know putting, hey, we're we're all inclusive out front. Also, like you said, means permissive. So there's a way. I think this is what you're saying, Kelly. It's it's difficult. It's tough because it takes time. It takes relationship. It takes extra effort. It takes listening and understanding and going back and forth in a dialogue rather than just putting a banner out front that says we're inclusive. That doesn't solve anything. That doesn't make anybody feel more or welcome. In fact, it might exclude a whole bunch of people. Like, so communicating the message of everybody is 100% 100% welcome and loved here and can come to know Jesus and be a part of our community of faith, regardless of what you're struggling with or how you identify or whatever. And yet saying there are things that are sin. Right. And we want everybody to be free of all of the things that are sin. Right. And, um, but that's where it gets tricky. You and I have gone back and forth on this a ton of like, how do we, how do you rightly define, uh, and, and thread the needle of sin and sexual identity. Mm-hmm. Because for some, when you say my sexual identity, and then you would, and then Kelly says, well, it's sinful to live that way. Well, you've, you have not included the person at all at that point. Or they and haven't felt included. They haven't right. felt included. Yeah. So it, it's a really, it's a, you have to have. Rapport. Relationship. Yeah, you, and I was going to say some of the same language even. You do. But and language is so muddled between exclusive, inclusive, permissive, yeah. open, judgmental, non-judgmental, free. I mean, there's so, all these crazy words that go around what what things mean. And so you're navigating cultural landmines. You're navigating historic evangelical baggage. You're navigating wanting to be loving and caring. You know, there's just it's it's a it's a tough road. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's impossible, but yeah. no. But well, I think you bring up some really great points when you talk about rapport and relationship. That starts with including. We don't need to immediately jump to the do I am I permissive? Permissive. 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 Thank yeah. you. It's a hard word. <laughs> it's a hard word. <laughs> um, but but taking that time to include the person, regardless, because that's how all relationships begin, right? Is just taking those first steps to get to know that person someone who maybe lives what seems to be a really similar lifestyle to you is still going to be different from you. And it takes that time mm-hmm. to invest into that person, regardless of yeah. whether we're permissive of all the things they do, or we're just trying to love them from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what I was trying to get at Kelly a minute ago was, um, and I, and I understand that, uh, especially you guys being on the elder board, like you hear about a lot more stuff churchwide than anybody else does. And you handle things that nobody else knows about. And so you have your fingers on a pulse that many of us don't. I've been here for four years. I don't know that I'm friends with a lot of people at this church who would be true of what, what you're talking about. Now, I'm not saying they don't exist here. I know they do. But a, a lot of the circles that I run in here in the church... I don't, I don't have any, I can't come up with any examples of the people I'm thinking of who are not going to engage in a relationship because of X, Y, Z that they disagree yeah. with. Oh, so I'm looking at, I'm looking for like, what, what are some specific examples of that you could talk to the church generally, but maybe thinking of a specific instance of like, okay, this is where you're, you're off here. This is where yeah, you need so, to be engaging in this relationship and you're not because of your, uh, because you're, you know, because you're, Living in a lifestyle that's contrary to the verses that you preached on. Yeah, so Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Right. He intentionally he, he sought intentionally out. He went through Samaria yes. to, to meet up with this woman who would be at the well at noon. My point is, we, I mean, you just described it, Matt. You don't know of anybody who wouldn't engage do you know of anybody who's going out of their way to engage that's gotcha. the distinction that's the distinction he, yeah. he went by matthew's booth maybe it was there to pay taxes i don't know or peter was there yeah. to pay taxes or somebody for the group and and he said oh matthew's not just collecting our coins he has an eternal need mm-hmm. yeah i you know it's it's like um i mean yes that's rare but think, that's rare think in of general 
and maybe it isn't that easy. It's easy for me to think about, like, uh, in the idea of, like, race relations. So very few Glen Ellen Bible Church folks would say, if a person of color knocked on their door and said, hey, I'm your new neighbor, I'd love to get to know you. I don't know very many, if any, Glen Ellen Bible Churchers or or even <laughs> Glen Ellen or Wheaton people that would say, no, thanks, slam the door. Person is- because it's a person of color. But I think it is a challenge for many in Glen Ellen Bible Church, that when somebody, a person of color, moves into their neighborhood, becomes friends with their kid at school or soccer, that they go over and say, hey, I'm John. You're new here. I'd love to get to know you and hear your story. I do think that that can be a struggle yeah. for some Glen Ellen. If it's convenient mm. and, it, and, it, and it's kind of a part of what we're doing, we're all good with it. If it means, like you, you said on Sunday— orienting and changing our our schedule, our behavior, our lifestyle to include people that aren't t- traditionally a part of who who we spend time with. Yeah. Is a challenge for for people in our it's a challenge for me personally. The family I, down the street with two moms. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an example. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that's that's suburban reality. Yeah. We need to go uh, biblically the words of the of the parable are compel them to come in. Yeah. I think that's a great distinction talking about going out of your way and mm-hmm. liking that to what Jesus life. did because yeah. that's what he did. Yeah. And so what does that look like living in, you know, predominantly white suburbia? <laughs> like the suburb the sub we live in the suburbs of the suburbs, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like for us? And yeah. Um I you know and I the, the whole work of being a kind, gentle, accepting community. Man, that's that's who I who we want to be. We want to be a community that's at ease with and let, bear with me here, who's at ease with sin. In other words, I'm afraid that we go into these relationships feeling we're responsible to change people or convince mm-hmm. people when or making sure they know that I don't support yeah. what they're mm-hmm. doing, folks. Here's here's the message of the gospel. That's not the first conversation you have. Yeah, <laughs> usually works. Right. I didn't even change myself. The message of the gospel is really clear. It's Him who's at work in me, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In other words. I'm afraid we're not at ease with the gospel or it's not worked its way. And I'm sure that's the case. We all need the gospel to work its roots deeper into the soil of our lives. But one of the reasons I think that we're not going out of our way or we're not as inclusive as, as the gospel Christ wants us to be is we're not really understanding what's transpired in our own lives we have a tendency to take credit for our righteousness. Mm -hmm. And if we're doing that, that's not a gospel reality. Mm -hmm. I'm not in charge of changing other people. I'm not in charge of convincing other people they need to be changed. I didn't even convince myself. It was the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. who convinced me that he was going to bring change in my life, and then he's done it. And he calls me to submit to that. It's not that we don't have any role. Certainly the Lord uses us. And we have the role of, of speaking the truth and cheering people on and compelling them to come into the great banquet. It's really very freeing. Yeah. We don't need to worry about this. We just need to love people and, and, and live our lives in a way that's honoring to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Yeah. You know, I had just one last quick thought on, and maybe I'm just, hopefully I'm just not repeating what you said. Um, but when this person asked, uh, when is it better not to err? Like they're asking like, when is it better not to err on the direction of love? Shouldn't we just do that? And and we've already covered this part, obviously, equating that with, um, with you know, no boundaries. Um, you know, they... <laughs> If you truly care about their eternal soul and you never talk about sin, and I'm not saying talk about sin up front like we were just joking about, but if you never talk about it, then to me that doesn't feel loving. Um, 
that feels more like tolerance. And our souls don't crave tolerance. They crave love. I think we also have to be honest with ourselves and um, when maybe we're just maybe trying to play God and think that an uncomfortable conversation will thwart the relational capital that we've built up. And so I, I would, um, my opinion is that um, this person would be maybe better served if they put their power and efforts into the, the love idea, into the sustaining idea, like put all that effort into sustaining and maintaining the relationship no matter what. They ask you to go a mile, go two miles. Like, take that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, take yeah. that idea and, and, and put it there. Um, which brings us into question number two, sort of where I was going with it. Um, but this gets into more practical stuff. So question two, how do I include everyone in my life while not being permissive of sin? You just said we need to do it, but how do we do it? I would love to know tangible ways to do this. I've been trying to figure out how to do this all my life, but in particular this last year. I really want to be able to show my children how to do it too without their being influenced by the ungodly choices that other teenagers are making. It's really interesting. So question one and question two are, are kind of at the opposite ends of the poles. It feels like we, we have some in the church who are frustrated that being permissive is offered as a qualifier to being inclusive. We have others in the church who are afraid of being too permissive when trying to be inclusive. And so we need to be honest with ourselves. I think that's just a sign that the work is being done, to be honest, right? That, that the Holy Spirit hopefully is. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and in, in our people's lives. If people are wrestling on all parts of the spectrum, it means yeah. that I the hope. work that it means that the work is not easy. It means yeah. that different people are coming at it, it from different perspectives. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's challenging people on both ends of the the the, the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Cut in. Go ahead. Well, yeah. As for not being permissive with, with regard to sin, it's it's simple as letting your light shine. And I don't mean to oversimplify this. I, in other words, when we go into relationship, we carry Christ with us. I. It isn't necessary for there to be a single declarative moment in which we make a particular statement. Uh, but rather there's this ongoing Christ-centered reality in our lives that allows others to see the truth. We simply share our love for God, our love for his word in the course of our friendships with others. And as we do that, then the word of God, which is a light to our path, becomes a light to their path, Lord willing. This is is good because I think in terms of my kids running it, in more circles in throughout, you know, the, all the stuff that they're involved in school, whatever, with more non-Christians probably on a daily basis than I do. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> often it's it's just that they are acting different. They don't say the same words. They edit themselves. Yeah, or yep. not even intentionally sometimes. It's like everybody else talks this way, they talk a little bit different. But the same is true in adult relationships, mm-hmm. in the non-Christian friendships I we can spot Christians often. Yep. Like if you're ever in a hangout time with new folks or whatever, and you, you walk away from you going, even though spiritual matters were never talked mm-hmm. about, you can often say, you know, I think Matt might be a, be a believer. Oh, why, why do you say that? Well, you know, he wasn't doing this and he's, mm-hmm. and he kind of talked about this and he just, it just felt different. He, you know, or whatever. I think, I think non-believers can spot believers as well in, in a course of a relationship. If you are marked by Christ and your behavior is different and not that it's, it should never be off-putting. It should right. never yeah. come off as, is judgmental, but it maybe it's just something different. Maybe there's a different way that you phrased things or didn't say certain things or how you engaged or how you gave a look or a, mm-hmm. a level of care that you put into something or whatever that, especially over a, a, some amount of time, you almost self-identify. You don't mm-hmm. have to come out with it. But, and I'm not opposed to coming out with it. I no, mean, I, I, eventually you have to. I mean, yeah, who you are. Right. It's, I, I love the metaphor of, so there's, it's, you know, there's darkness in the world. Let's just let the light of Christ shine in our lives, which, again, as I even say it, it sounds like an oversimplification. But, you know, my point is that life is messy. Relationships are cumbersome. There's this natural ebb and flow. We don't have to plan everything when it comes to relationships. Um, if, we've, if we've read God's Word that morning, I'll give you an example, and we're in the Psalms, 
and we're out there with a, a, a crowd of both believers and non-believers, we should be sharing what we're reading. Mm. There should be this unedited lifestyle. And sometimes I do good at that. Other times I don't do real well at that. But it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a particular declarative statement. It can more just be who we are, hopefully. Um, um, I'm feeling in this question a little bit, maybe like it's, it's in two parts. One perspective is adults and then the other perspective is our kids. Like, um, where do you, and especially you three, you have kids who are teenagers. I don't, so this isn't quite as much, you know, applicable to me. But for you guys, um, what, talk to us a little bit about how, how do you send your kid off to go and, and do life with someone else who's not a believer and, you know, maybe you're, you're concerned, but, you know, you're trying to, to be salt and light, right? And, and have a, but, and also just have a genuine relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you, what do you do when you get to that bridge, when you get to that, you know, crossroads and you got to make a decision? Like, what's the thought process there? How do you guys approach that? There's a lot that goes into it, but it, I actually, Kelly, you said like three times in your little statement there a minute ago, and maybe I'm oversimplifying, maybe I'm making it too simple, but I think it can be simple, you know, like mm -hmm. I, if you say to your kids, like, just, just be in with God, you know, like be reading your Bible and praying every day, start there. That's a really simple place to start, and then that's going to permeate who they are. So then when they find themselves in tricky situations, they've read something in the Bible recently, or they've been in prayer, and God's going to help them through that temptation, or God's going to help them be confident to speak. So if they're in tune with the Holy Spirit, a lot of things are going to fall into place just right there. Um, and then sending them off with prayer. So praying over your kids a lot so that it feels normal to them to be prayed over in small little things. Like, I don't know, this little thing that happened. Well, let's pray about that. Anything that could be even a minor concern for your kids, you're praying over that. And then they're going to start to pray naturally when little things come mm -hmm. up in their lives. So it can be simple, but also have a really huge effect. Um, you know, I think it's important too. We, we talked to our kids about different levels of friends or circles of friends. You've got some friends that are your closest friends that are ones that are going to point you to the Lord. And then, um, and you're going to be able to talk to them about your relationship with Christ. And maybe you have some friends who, who don't know the Lord yet that you love and they are your good friends, but you, you also have a different view of them. Like you kind of hold different perspectives of, of what you might share with them or what, how you interact with them. So Having people in your life that are that are like-minded, but also having a good variety of friends who can help sharpen you and that you can be sharing the gospel with. Um, so, you know, those are just some thoughts on that. But but really, I think it can start simply prayer and encouraging your kids to be in the Bible every day. Yeah, the kid question is really complex because um, so Sherry and I have three kids. They each uh, on a different journey. God has them at different places, and they have different uh, needs. Um, and, uh, but when, and, and the same is true when they were younger teenagers. So uh, they're 24, 22, and 19 right now. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, but, but let's put them back a couple of years when they were younger teenagers. Um, they may or may not have been interested, I think, of Beth going to prayer with her kids. I mean, there were times when my kids... Um, you know, may or may not have been real pumped about me mm -hmm. praying with them on an issue. So they may not have been following Christ real closely. It's interesting, um, you know, we, we have to shepherd our kids in each moment, um, and we're trying to let the light of Christ in our lives shine into their lives. Um, and then we're also concerned about who else is shepherding and what other influences they have in their lives. And so uh, it's very complex when it comes to kids. Yeah. Like but I'm Kelly, thinking of a, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, you know, like for parents who are struggling, whose kids aren't open to prayer in that time, yeah. what do you do? Well, I force them. Yes. <laughs> Hold them we down. all get down on our knees together. <laughs> you know, I mean, so there's, I told a parent this morning, um, there's nothing as humbling as parenting. Yeah. There's nothing as humbling as parenting. 
So um, Sherry and I pray together. And, man, I, I hurt for those parents who don't have a spouse to pray with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard. That's lonely. And it's you know, then you need a small group. I mean, um, we, have, I, we have several single parents in our small group. And I just think, man, I'm overwhelmed, and I have a partner. Mm-hmm. We're pulling together. Anyway, so... Beth, the short answer is, you know, we need to be praying with somebody. If we can't pray with our kid about what our kids are facing, then we need to be praying with somebody about what our kids are facing. Right. Yeah, I I always try to not make it like this is the end-all, be-all moment either. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I was a punk at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. 20, <laughs> 21. 43. Where my mom, you know, said, you know, why don't we pray about that situation? I'm like, yeah, right. Okay, see you, Mom. You know, <laughs> my mom could have gone ballistic at that moment and been yeah. like, he's lost the faith. He's <laughs> <No>. not. <laughs> or she could have said something like, fine, I'm here when, you, when you're ready yeah. or whatever, uh-huh. you know. We can sort of make like these huge moments uh, and big decisions and like really concerned about comments our kids make or decisions that they make when they're in these young and developmental years. You know, our culture and society puts so much pressure on us as parents to raise perfect children and it's impossible. And so, you know, we need to take everything with patience and grace and sort of like a grain of salt, like, well, and take the long view. Yeah. I mean, our, our most well-behaved kid is the one that got now is the one that got in the most trouble in elementary school, mm. if not for big things, right? But it's but you like you could have been worrying yourself I could have the been whole time, freaking out, right. and out, you know. And it's right. like goodness gracious, like you know, I'm, we need to give ourselves patience and and grace, and you know, in the, the the question about like how do we how do we have our kids engage with with non-believers? Man, I say early, often, yeah. shepherd through it, talk through it. And, and every kid is a little bit different. There's like some of our kids, I wouldn't throw into a, a party environment mm-hmm. or whatever um, with a whole bunch of kids that we maybe don't know that well, or we don't know the parents that well, they, don't, right. they aren't church folks or whatever, and they're our kids at a young age. We might not, you know, that might not be the greatest thing for this specific child at this specific moment. You got to know your kids, what they're going through. At the same time, it'd be foolish to blanket that for all my kids and Mm -hmm. say, because there are so many kids, they do fine in that environment and be given, you know, great opportunity and good conversation afterwards. And yeah, well, like the example I had in my head was like, what if, you know, your, your kid was really good friends with another kid at school. I mean, they, and he was a sweet kid and and all that, but but the kids' parents' relationship was toxic, and you've witnessed that. Mm-hmm. But they want to, you know, obviously you're saying no to a sleepover anyway. But but like they want to, hey, can your kid come over and, and hang out? They're gonna play video games and whatever. And and you're concerned about your kid being exposed mm-hmm. to that level of toxicity of of the, maybe they've never seen that before, you know? Yeah. Like yeah, I'm thinking of you situations like stage that. a couple like, fake fights, you know? <laughs> so they. <laughs> Man, kids summer, crying, and you're like, "That was just an act, honey." I can tell you, there there have been some. I don't. Ah, there's been some very difficult stuff that my kids have. Faced. All of our kids have teenagers. You know, middle school is hard. Middle school was hard when we were in middle school. Middle school is hard still. High school is hard. Mm-hmm. It's well, getting harder the, every day. The rate of social change is astronomical. It, 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 what our kids are facing. You know, and some of my kids' exposure to things that don't go on in our home that are different have created some of the best conversations That's good. with mm-hmm. my kids because they, they're like, you know, <laughs> I can think of one time where <laughs> one of my kids was, he's playing video games and you can, they, you know, they wear the headset and they're yeah. all talking or whatever. And they overheard another parent disciplining their friend in who another was up, house in another house on the headset mm. and awesome. they had heard language <laughs> that they had never heard an abradement mm. of this kid oh. and they started they got tears in their eyes oh. after you know and it fin- and they're like you know this dad said about you know i mean that's really hard and sad and but it was this opportunity right to really talk about 
hey, you know, what's discipline look like and love look like? And, yeah. you know, and maybe and, that kid that comes to school who's acting up and bullying and whatever. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what his home life right. looks like. Like right. maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It the also is a good reminder for me that they can hear through the headset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Dad. <laughs> you guys on that Internet thing again? So I make sure I use like really cool hip language. <laughs> Super hip. <laughs> um. I would love to weigh in um, because I, 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 can, I think I can drill down on the, the shine your light in very practical ways. Um, and, and you can mark your bingo square because I'm going to talk about band, band life, band stuff. So the, <laughs> for, for five years, I played in this band and it was an opportunity that, that came to me and it was like, hey, you know, may, mostly going to play on Friday and Saturday nights. It was a tribute band out of Chicago and it was hip hop. It was all hip hop, 80s and 90s music. Kind of hilarious, kind of fun, but also very raunchy at times and playing in bars and, you know, whatever. And, um, and so I, I took the gig. It paid very well. And, um, you know, yeah, I was right away just thrust in places and situations um, that, you know, you know, probably most Christians aren't in or don't want to be in. And um, I, would, I tried to just be me. I tried to be consistent intentionally consistent uh and after a year six months a year a year and a half whatever um they started to realize oh uh matt's not gonna get drunk Mm -hmm. he may have a drink but he's not gonna get drunk okay uh oh matt's not gonna take that oh matt's not gonna go into that place oh matt's not gonna and they start to get to know me as i'm getting to know them and and then all of a sudden you know the the band leaders throwing me the keys at the beginning of the night here you go because he knows i'm gonna drive the van at the end of the night and a lot of times I found myself in that place driving, you know, 15 people back to the hotel, <laughs> just completely annihilated. And I'm the only one sober. And I'm thinking, who would be driving this if I weren't here? Mm-hmm. You know? And it, the interesting thing was what began to happen was um, uh, I, I made great friends and still really good friends with a lot of the people in this band. They're just great, great folks. Um, and what began to happen is really interesting. Some of them would start to speak on my behalf. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, right. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, you don't, don't, don't offer him that. Oh, no, don't, don't, you know. And they knew who I was. They knew what I believed. I got to have some good spiritual conversations with several of them and, and had a few of them that I was praying for regularly, you know, and all that. But, um, but those were uh, opportunities for me to, as Kelly was saying, sh- let the light of Christ shine, but in very practical, tangible ways, and played the long game with it. Yeah. And 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 at some point when you're playing the long game, something major is going to happen. Something big, life event-wise, is going to happen, and they're going. You're going to be around one of them or a couple of them, and they're going to see how you handle it. Mm-hmm. And for me, in particular, it was uh, on a drive back um, from a show on New Year's, which is the you know the pinnacle of band life, mm-hmm. as far as debauchery is concerned, and you know like a New Year's Eve gig, and we it was in the Quad Cities. And um, so we're driving back, and I'm pretty sure I'm driving the car because the, the other guy's just not feeling well. And we're driving back, and I get a call um, that, and Jennifer was a six, seven, maybe eight months pregnant with Sawyer at the time. And what had happened was, we think, uh, <laughs> Sawyer, who was too big to be doing this maneuver, did a full circle mm. and caused some disruption and whatever but we didn't know and then after that she couldn't get him to move and he was a very Mm -hmm. active baby and so we were really worried really scared and she was staying with the guy I was driving home with uh home with she was staying with his wife out at their in Lowell Indiana at their country house Mm -hmm. and so they were in the middle of nowhere no hospital you know and so the ambulance came picked her up you know took her to the hospital it was like an hour drive whatever it was and um I'm still two hours out. I can't do anything. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my gosh, we're going to lose our son. Like, what, what is happening? And within moments, uh, my lead, our lead pastor of the church I was at at the time called. And I was just like, Matt, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I've heard what's going on. Let's pray. And so here I am in this car with this other guy mm-hmm. praying, my, you know, not knowing what's going on. And I'm getting calls and texts from the church community. And after it was all said and done, I was just thinking, wow, I wonder what he's thinking right now. Like, uh, you know, when all that was going down, like, I yeah. wonder if he put himself in my shoes 
in thought. Who's reaching out to me? Who's mm-hmm. praying with me? Who's doing these things? Where's my hope? I don't know. So anyway, just a tangible example of of being committed in your relationships. And at some point, like God's going to show up. The mm-hmm. church is going to show yep. up. And they're going to see a life that's different. And hopefully they see something that's attractive. Mm-hmm. Good. Cool. Good word. Okay. Uh, we'll go to the next question. Kelly. As strong as the sermon was yesterday, I continue to feel as though you dance around specifics. Although you chastise the conservative suburban evangelicals for their political vitriol, and rightly so in my estimation, you stop short of offering details on really hot topics. For example, will you answer directly whether or not gay Christians can be members at GEBC? And if yes, what, if any, limits are there on their roles in service? Um, the answer. Dancing I'm, around I'm, specifics. I'm not a very good dancer, so. Oh, Nicholas. That's all I can do. Jeez. <laughs> dancer. All right. I was waiting for Kelly to sing it. Cause I can <laughs> hit the note. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, so. It's good that people feel they can be pretty direct with you here. Yeah. yeah. Man, it's all over the board, isn't it, today? Uh-huh. Equal opportunity offender I am. Not only can gay Christians be members at GBC, we have gay Christians who are members. We have folks with all types of sinful appetites who are members at GBC, which is simply to say we're a collection of sinners Mm -hmm. saved by grace, trusting in the righteousness of another man, Jesus. This means that one of the primary distinguishing marks of our community of faith is not our righteousness, but our acknowledgement of our sinfulness. So yeah, we you can be a great gay Christian and be a member of Glowing Bible Church, and we have gay Christians who are members. As for the limits on the roles of service at GBC, it would be the same for a homosexual as it would be for anyone. Uh, bear in mind, um, there are lots of opportunities for service at Glowing Bible Church with varying degrees of spiritual maturity required. For example, it takes very little spiritual maturity to greet someone kindly at the door. I mean, we need greeters and Grant runs that that volunteer team of greeters, or we needed greeters. Yeah, we still need greeters at COVID, don't we? Yeah, greeters, ushers, yeah. Yeah, so, and we need people to change diapers in the nursery. It takes very little spiritual maturity to change a diaper. <laughs> Depends. Uh, yeah. In other words, there are some roles for service that are absolutely open to anyone, regardless of their spiritual maturity. However, when it comes to things like leading a small group or teaching a Sunday school class or serving as an elder... These positions are reserved for those who are demonstrating a certain level of spiritual maturity, a certain level of fruitfulness in their lives because of the Spirit's activities in their lives, the Holy Spirit's growing them. Spiritual maturity is defined as the ability to identify and choose what's right. And we look for spiritual maturity, uh, mature folks. We want spiritual mature folks to lead and teach at Glowing Bible Church. The writer of Hebrews talks about maturity. It's, it's those who, through repetition, uh, have trained themselves to do what's right, Hebrews 5.14. So this means that if someone's currently entangled in sin, then they're not ready to lead. Um, it doesn't mean that they aren't saved or that they can never lead. It just means that they aren't currently ready to steer the ship. So it also means they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but right, if we were right. waiting on perfect people, right. no one would be preaching this Sunday. So th- this issue of readiness is a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, so readiness is the notion. It's, I'll use a, uh, an athletic metaphor. So when, when you're drafted into the, the NFL, uh, most of the time, those that are drafted first round, they don't go straight into playing. It's rare. They sit on the bench. They're not ready for the speed of the game, the intensity of the game. So they usually – and then there are some that – after they've played a little while, they were ready, they get injured, and they have to leave the game. They're not ready because they've been injured. The same is true spiritually. We could have uh, someone who is ready to lead. You see it in pastors' lives all the time. They go through a hard season, and then they're not ready to lead. They, they, they've uh, disqualified themselves for a time, you might say. They need to go to injured reserve or whatever you might call. So this issue of readiness is, is no small matter, and it's the role of those who are in spiritual leadership, pastors, elders of the church, to discern who's ready to lead uh, and teach 
the church. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, some translations say, you who are spiritually mature should restore that person gently. And so we need spiritually mature people to be discerning who's ready to lead, who's free from sim- sinful entanglement and ready to lead. Um, I did I, how'd I do it my dance step there? You're still dancing a little bit around it. <laughs> what can you define? Uh, what would you, when somebody says gay Christian, what does that mean to you? And that they are, they are allowed uh, to be a member. Oh, okay. I don't mean to dance. I know you don't. I like to go I know straight you. ahead. So, uh, I, I am, um, how can I say this? Um, so, so if it could be that when someone says gay Christian, what they mean to imply is that someone's actively participating in a gay lifestyle. That's not what I meant by gay Christian. Mm-hmm. What I meant by gay Christian is someone who says, according to Ephesians 2, uh, I was born with this sinful desire. No one had to teach me this. This comes all natural. Or it was cultivated mm-hmm. in my own life. Or How about this? I can't remember not having this proclivity. Sure. I cannot remember not having heterosexual lust. No one had to teach me it. I'm without a time period in my life when I can think I, I didn't have heterosexual lust, lust. So how's that? Still dancing? Well, what's Keep, the rest of it? What? You said they've come to you and they said they can't remember a time. Yeah, so they're claiming they were born with it or... So they're, so they're practicing, so and they're born with it. They couldn't help so it. So they're SSA, same-sex attraction. And so uh, I believe the call of Scripture, and Glowing Bible Church believes the call of Scripture, is to abstain from, from that sinful desire, just like I abstain from the desire for adultery or lust or whatever. So it's somebody coming and saying, I, this is, I, this I'm is my st- sin of I'm choice. I'm stuck in this sin yeah. either forever or right now or whatever it might be. you mean stuck by practicing? No, I mean, like... It is my... It is, I have this desire. Right. Yeah. And I am not practicing. Or yeah, I'm, so celibate. Ba- I'm battling to stay celibate. I want to follow Jesus. I, rea- I realize it's a sin. It's yeah. not a sin I want to commit. Yeah. And You know, what you point out here is, is just the cumbersomeness of shepherding. Well, that's what I'm trying to get at because yeah. people want to know. They want an easy line in the sand. And right. it's just not because what, what happens is, let's say a, a lesbian comes and she says, I want to join the church. I'm celibate. I, I recognize it as sin, and I've turned my life over to Christ. Great. Come be a part of the church. And then a month later she says, oh, I've sinned. I said, me too. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think people are looking, does one sin disqualify? Right. Does two sins disqualify? What the, the issue, the, the buzzwords all around this are same-sex attraction, lifestyle, right. all, all these different issues. I think the same would be true, and, and we need to do the work in it's the a, membership process and everything. I mean, we don't talk just about homosexuality and same-sex attraction. I mean, somebody could come, a single woman or a single man could come and say, I'm a fornicator. Or a pornographer. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, you know, and, and we would have all the same questions about, mm-hmm. well, you're, so you're a, you are practicing sex outside of marriage mm-hmm. with multiple people yep. and you're, and you have no sign of changing that. So yep. you're probably not ready for membership. Probably and not. You're probably mm-hmm. not ready for service. You've come into us saying, I have struggled with this in the past. I, I want to remain celibate. I don't want to, I'm saying it from a perspective of a man, I don't want to keep pursuing relationships yeah. and having sex outside of marriage or before marriage. We could say, great, you're in. Yeah, the intensely relational nature of it, though, is, I mean, every Sunday we have people, te- every week we have people teaching and leading groups that are wrestling with sin, mm-hmm. and they're at some level of uh, entanglement. That, right. Uh, you know. And we've, but we've talked about that, that sexual sins in particular are unique. They are. In their... They are. Their consequences, their, their damage, their yeah. need to be undone, all, right. all sorts of... The, and they're uh, identified and we say scripturally they're, as Yeah, we as say unique. they're unique because Paul identifies them as... Correct. So I'll, t- I'll give you a hot topic. It doesn't have to just be homosexuality. Take, you know, the legalization of marijuana in, in, in getting high. 
Well, what's now legal in our state is is um, all good, man. Why are you going? <laughs> Yes. I think this is a great example. Though. Yes. Wait, why? Are we not cool here? Yeah, why are you, why are you getting down on me, man? <laughs> <laughs> what about medic, for medical purposes, Kelly? Right. I mean, that's, right. that's the difficulty of shepherding. Is once a week uh, too much? Well, you know, I've been sober all week. Um, so I just, it's, it's, it's a lot of work shepherding in these, in these respects. And again... I think we need to be at ease with sin, which is not permissive. Mm-hmm. By at ease, I mean realizing it's the Spirit of God who's going to separate us from our sinfulness. It isn't the work of any pastor. He involves a pastors. He involves friends. Would you say that um, that certain uh, sins would exclude somebody f- permanently or for a significant period of time from certain types of leadership in the church? Yeah, I could imagine. Okay, so a money launderer we would put in as treasurer. Somebody who's been a convicted money launderer. Probably not. Well, I mean, I I look at just the criminality of it. If somebody's a registered sex offender, then you can't can't have them. Yeah, sex offenders are are a culturally difficult um, topic. So so pedophilia. According to our policies, procedures, insurance. But even legally. All those sorts of things. A registered sex offender can't legally be a Sunday school teacher. So there's a distinction that's been made for you by the law that you don't then as pastor have to say, well, because of this, it's, it's been made outside of your power. But there's all sorts of, uh, wisdom. Yeah. In, in (laughs) where people would lead and serve based on what they may or may not have or currently are struggling with. Right. So, well, you want to set people up for success too. You know, mm-hmm. that's going to be good for them. So putting a money launderer as treasurer yeah, counting is, on Sunday is, morning. Or no, right, money launderer not, is not, not the fair right to term. them. Right, how about, how about a, <laughs> like these people are, are <laughs> But it's not fair to them to put them in that temptation. Somebody who you has know? struggled with. I'll uh, tell a Rob Fletcher story. Cheating it, with money mm-hmm. would probably not be wise to have in leading financial matters, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll tell a Rob Fletcher story. If, if the listeners know Rob Fletcher, he's. I think he's 65 now, and he's been in the church for 40 years or 30 years, to be more specific, somewhere right in there. And he started youth ministry when I was, as a volunteer, when I was leading youth ministry as a staff person. About, I'm going to say 15 years ago, he came up to me. He goes, I smell cocaine. We were at church. Everybody was coming in for worship. This was 15 years ago. I said, you smell what? He goes, I smell cocaine. There's cocaine in the building. He had sold and done cocaine and collected money for cocaine. He was a, a dealer for a long time. I said, well, what exactly are you saying? He goes, well, I'll find it. Give me mm-hmm. just a minute. And he found a bag of cocaine in the building. Wow. He had used cocaine for so long, right? right. And it, this whole notion of um, it takes... I raise this story because shepherding, caring for God's people, is such an intensely relational work. Okay, where? And he found it in the foyer. Just like someone had dropped it. Oh, gosh. He found it in the foyer. That's a he, bummer. What would you do with it? <laughs> I don't know. These are so many, these are important details. <laughs> I think we flushed it. You better flush it yeah. or turn it. I mean, make a little... <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say I'm turn joking. it in. I'm joking. <laughs> turn it Brian in. Fromm was on staff at that time, and I think Brian actually was dealing with Rob on it. So I just, you know what? When we, when <laughs> dealing, we, not the right like, word. Yeah, dealing, I was just going to say. <laughs> and, and Fromm drives a for, really nice car. No. For the <laughs> listeners, you know, Rob has told all these stories publicly. Yeah, I'm, I was just I'm not say, telling you're not telling laundry. anything. You're, yeah. So, but uh, we want easy answers. And there's certainly clarity, scriptural clarity to be offered, but it is also an intensely personal work Mm -hmm. to discern when someone's ready and at what level they're ready and to, to help people grow. So I just, I'm just, there is clarity scripturally on what is sin and what isn't. Um, but it, it takes a lot of work to shepherd God's people. Yeah. So, wow. Bag of cocaine in the foyer. That is either unbelievably just horrible or incredibly 
hopeful. Oh, right. Both. Yeah, that's you know what I mean? both. That is like, the dichotomy of no, the like the, Can you imagine somebody coming just looking for hope that it, the, right. their life is right. in that place where they have a bag of, of cocaine on them? And right. Absolutely. Like, right. If you're going to go, this is the place or to Or the other side is that someone's coming here regularly right. with a bag of cocaine in their pocket. Right. I choose the. For the question <laughs> asker who, who feels I'm dancing, again, I don't. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a very good dancer when it comes. I'm a pretty straightforward guy, so don't ever, ever hesitate to ask. Well, uh, and, but and the, the answers are cumbersome. Isn't it? Yeah, and t- I think it's helpful to say you're, you're very approachable. Yeah. You're easy to get a hold of. Yeah, yeah. Three fourths of the church has your cell phone. I was the first and cell phone number to it, ever be had at Glen Bible yeah. Church. <laughs> uh, staff. And and so people can reach out to you, email, whatever. That's also, I was going to offer why we do this podcast, is yeah. because to getting into known. the details yeah. on Sunday, talking about the great, great banquet and love each other. And um, also, so <laughs> if you did want to be a member. Or if you lost your bag if of you cocaine. Have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we it's it. just, it's just, it can be hard to get into all and, of and I guess I should say, this bag of cocaine, yeah. cocaine was small, was like the size of a quarter. I mean, it was tiny. And he's my, my point is, that when uh, the listeners may be thinking, well, like a grocery bag? Literally, in my mind, I was picturing a three-quarters full Ziploc quart-sized bag. <laughs> no. I mean, that's really? in my mind. Well, well, I was like, picturing a tiny little bag. It's a tiny. Well, you, but to be able to smell it, you're just walking around for But it, to, like every movie you've ever seen where it's cocaine, it's like, poof, like oh, this yeah, kilo. No. <laughs> That's on like the table, grand, there's like dude. powder everywhere. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. But in your mind, like the first thing that you think of, you don't think of like this little tiny, oh, at least tiny for me anyway. Thing. I don't yeah. know. It's just movie drug culture. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, question four. Last Let's question. get out of this. Here we go. I love the idea of living with the grand banquet in view, but I get bogged down in the stresses of this world. What can I do to better live like I'm headed to a party? I really think that would increase my opportunities to share the gospel. Yeah, they, well, I like that every, every introvert in the room went, oh, oh no, a pa- a a, a there's a party at the end. <laughs> oh, man. I thought it was going to be harps. I was really hoping for harps. I, I, I was thinking solitude was going to be nice. <laughs> it's cloud be, all to myself, yeah, right? Cloud. Is it going to be masked? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think what we just need here is is a renewing of the mind. So what what we fix our minds on, we we develop feelings for. If you want feelings of anticipation, your feelings of anticipation for the great banquet to increase, then simply set your focus on it. Paul writes in Romans, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's a renewal of the mind. It's so easy to get bogged down in the the stresses and the anxieties of this world. and so our feelings, our emotions, by and large, will follow what we focus on, our minds on. Oh, I just heard there's a book um, called The Common Rule. I haven't read it yet, but it just got, it was uh, Christianity Day uh, Book of the Year, one of them, The Common Rule by Justin Early. And uh, he tells his own story in there of being a, a, a law student and then beginning to practice law and having anxiety, panic attacks Mm. as an adult, uh, something he had never previously struggled with before, and how he began to shape his day in a way that focused his mind on the good news of the gospel, on God's hope and presence and joy, and his emotions followed that. And it's it's just, um, the notion is, it's a, so it's a book on spiritual disciplines, but that's you know, kind of a word that can, it doesn't draw people in to read the book, but it's, it's really a book about how did he order his day to address anxiety. Cool. Yeah. Actually, the Bible app has, for people who are like, I just need a five-minute something, the Bible app has some specifically little plans that are five, six, seven-day plans that mm-hmm. one was like joy over stress and things like that where you can find shorter, smaller daily applications. Yeah, and read the Psalms every day. Spend time in the Psalms, especially if you struggle with the stresses of this world. Just today I read Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart will, is steady. He will not be afraid. Just tons of encouragements in the Psalms. All right. 
That's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, but also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining in, and thank you listeners for submitting questions to the next level. Prophecy.